Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Yagmore Soap Opera, the classic-related podcast brought to you, the community. I'm Andy, the Eternal Hammer, and I'm joined by Zach and George, our regular co-hosts. I'd like to thank PureMTJ.com for hosting us and uh, MTJTraders.com for sponsoring us. And if you're new to the podcast, don't forget to click on the article link and drop on to see inside to see additional information that we've got for you this week. So, sadly, no events have fired this week, so we're going to have a look at some new Phyrexia spoilers. I'm going to be talking about a new brew that I've been uh, putting together, and uh, I'd like to get some views from George, George and Zach on, on the deck list, and uh, also throw it open to the, to the community for uh, discussion, and maybe we can tweak it towards a viable deck in the format. We're then going to address the questions raised in the comments of the last article around cost implications for Classic. So we'll hand over to George, who's going to um, open up the discussion on new Phyrexia by having a look at the first card, which is uh, the, 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 the Doom Planeswalker in the set. Um, hello, everybody. So we talked about the, some of the new Phyrexia spoilers a couple of weeks ago when, they, when we got the 20 Japanese scans. Um, back then, I said I liked Karn a lot because I think that Metalworker is going to be going to do a good job of powering him out in shop builds, and he gives shop the ability to do the one thing that it cannot do, which is destroy permanents. I, I like it. Apparently, a lot of other people think I'm stupid, but I mean, what do you what do you two think? Stupid. Well, I think we we discussed this in an earlier episode, and um, it has a powerful effect. I just feel that at seven mana, there are there are better options for, for shop at the moment. The fact that it's it's not an artifact itself, so it can't be powered out with um, with workshop, is also a, a strong negative for the card. But uh, I'm sure we'll see it um, in in constructed formats, just maybe not in classic. All right. So. Yeah, and um, I, I would say, too, I, I'm not necessarily totally opposed to it, but it does take away from it that it's not an artifact planeswalker, so you can't run a four up. Um, maybe one or two will see play, but I think duplicate is just as strong an effect, and it's something that can easily be powered out even without a metal worker. So I think, uh, I don't know, I, I think it I think it might be there. We'll, we'll see moving forward. So you want to go over the next one, Zach? Yeah, um, it's funny you should ask. This is the one that I personally am most excited about. Um, the card is called Mental Misstep, and uh, it is just an absolute beating. Um, basically, it is the blue Phyrexian symbol, which is means you can either pay one blue mana or two life, and uh, it's an instant. And the flavor, or excuse me, the uh, rules text is counter target spell with converted mana cost one. And if you've ever played classic, you know, at least 40% of the spells in the format are mana cost one. So you're looking at a card that can pitch to force a will. It can pitch to nothing in counter, you know, a vampiric tutor. Uh, uh, what what is it? Um, not the grip. The nature's claim. It can counter just a bunch of just spells. Uh, Voltaic Key. It, it, it can. It, it does a lot. It counters brainstorms. It counters card advantage, and the flexibility that it has of paying just one blue mana or two life. You know, no mana and two life to stop a turn one. E even in Legacy, I see this as a really good card to stop like turn one Ether Vial without a Force of Will. I mean, that is huge. So I um, think Mental Misstep is a much better card in Legacy than it is in Classic. Just because the legacy format hinges on a turn one plays much more so than classic does, at least one drop turn one plays. Uh, I can see that, but I think it's going to be surprisingly. I, I think this card might be as good, if not better, than the uh, the card we're using right now. That's the one blue and it counters target spell unless they pay two. Uh, Stalkers, yeah, no, it's going to be. I think it's going to be good in classic, but I think it's just going to outshine. Uh, how good it is in Classic when you look at it in Legacy. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm excited about playing it in uh, Legacy, too, just because I like decks that would play this. So my favorite card in the set by a mile. Um, well, see, I mean, the funny thing you say about that is I like decks that would play it. There's an article that Drew Levin put out uh, yesterday, Friday, and he talked about how Mental Misstep is going to revolutionize Legacy, and I agree with him. You guys should head over and read that article if uh, you want to read a good article. Yeah, 
I'll check it out. What do you What do you think, Andy? I know you are a touch hesitant about it in classic. Well, I agree that there are plenty of targets that this this spell can counter. Um, but there's equally there's a lot of action in classic that it, that it can't touch that it can't do anything about. Um, I mean, it can counter someone else's mental mind step. I guess that's uh, <laughs> maybe going to be relevant going forward. Um, I, I guess my my biggest my biggest concern with it is, um, you know, what what are you going to be taking out of your deck to squeeze this in? And is it really any better than having, say, Chalice of the Void set of one in your deck? Well, like, as off the top of my head, the Bob Tendrils list that I uh, showed off last week, I would take out Spell Pierce and put in Mental Misstep there because Spell Pierce is to counter Spell Duress or Mental or uh, Spell Pierce. You know, the, so, only, the only reason I would hesitate with that, George, is because Mental Misstep can't counter the cards that hurt you the most, which are those spheres. No, it can't. But that's just uh, that's just an example of using it as an offensive card instead of a defensive card. Sure. And spell pierce is much better against in in the force of will uh, ability. You know, the ability to counter a force of will. Spell pierce is only good, only better than mental misstep when you target force of will against blue decks. Otherwise, it it pretty much doesn't really matter. The mental the mental misstep will help you win the game when you need to if you're a storm deck, other than force of will. Yeah, and how relevant do you think that that two life is? And now, you know, it, it's going to be cumulative throughout the game. If you're if you're casting a couple of these, you're taking an extra sort of four life on top of the the damage you're already taking from the the sack lands in the format and the mana crypts. Do, do you do you think that decks are going to be able to support multiple copies of Direxia mana cards? Sure. Um. No problem. Yeah, because you you don't lose the game until you hit zero. Well, not only that, dude, just think a couple of years ago. I say a couple of years ago. It has to be at least five years now. Ravnica Shocklands were the primary lands in the format, and nobody called about it then. I mean, it sucked against Burn, but everything else, it's a really negligible effect. I mean, it's one of those things, two life sucks, but are you not going to play Thoughtseize? Yeah, I, no, I agree. And it's funny you say Ravnica Shocklands, because they're, they're pretty much the land version of Phyrexian Nava. Yeah. Okay, so I guess it's um, a case of watching this space and seeing how it pans out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so one, I'll, I'll one last the... thing I wanted to add is I do agree with you, Andy, in the fact that the two two of the three main archetypes it does suck against. sucks against Dredge and it sucks against Stacks, but that's, I guess, my last comment on it. Oh, well, it, doesn't oh, well. it doesn't completely suck against Dredge. It does hit Cabal Therapy, Chain of Vapor, Nature's Claim. We'll get to discussing my new deck in a minute, and we'll be looking at a, a counter spell which costs one mana, which I think is more relevant in the current classic environment. So we'll get to that. Uh, so next up on our Phyrexian spoiler is Gitaxian Probe. Uh, this is also um, one blue Phyrexian mana, so you can cast it for uh, two life as well if you want. Uh, it's a sorcery. You look at target player's hand and you draw a card. So it essentially is a cantrip for, for two life. And if we're if we're confident with just pitching two life here and two life there, then then basically it, it's a free cantrip. So you're you're reducing the the, the potential the, the the size of your library and, and looking at your opponent's hand and getting some information there. Um, I'm not so sure about this card again. Uh, I can see it being useful in in sort of um, storm combo decks where you can thin your library so you get to the money cards quicker. And also having a look at your opponent's hand could be really useful to know whether it's safe to go off or whether you need to go for additional protection. Um, George, what's your view on this? Um, I think it's a pretty good card. I think that its best home by far, a country mile if you will, will be Belcher decks. It's, you don't care about the two light at all. You get to dig a card and you can see if they have force will to stop you. I just wish this card was an instant. I think, well, agreed, an instant would be a lot more insane, but even at a sorcery, I think that, you know, all the other decks notwithstanding, Belcher will love this card. Agree. The thing about Belcher is even with cards like this, I don't know, has Belcher ever seen real success on any stage? Um, it, It's seen random top eights in paper on uh, Legacy, 
not really classic or uh, or vintage, but I, the card the card seems uh, seems to have an application somewhere if you can figure it out. Yeah, yeah. but it it just cannot be it can't be shop on the draw. Oh no, no, it can't. Well, but you know, it can't. It also this isn't the same format that it will be later when Jictation Probe might be good. Jictation Probe seems pretty uh, saucy with Query and Dryad. You know, what this card is, is it's a strictly better version of that black 3-4 um, creature that cycles for 2 life. Street Wraith. Exactly. This is this is a really good version of Street Wraith. Yeah, take, I agree with that. So anyway, that's my thoughts. Okay, do you want to introduce the next card then, uh, Zach? So the next card we have here is uh, Alesh Norm, Grand Cinnabon. Uh, you know, we've already gone over this card. It's uh, seven mana, four seven Praetor Mythic, white rare. Has vigilance and creatures you control get plus two plus two, and it's a permanent infest for your opponents. So all their creatures get minus two minus two. Uh, George had some thoughts on this as he slipped this one in. What, what did you think, George? Uh, just it's it's a viable oath sideboard card against Dredge. It stops all their zombies from you know staying on the table. The Blazing Archon stops them from attacking, but they can bounce it and win. At least with Elishan on the table, they have to bounce it and rebuild their army. Yeah, I mean, it but seems like a solid target. That's that's about it, though. That's cool. So uh, we won't spend too much time on this one since we already discussed it last time. Uh, George, you want to take the... Sure. Um, <clears throat> the next card is Phyrexian Metamorph. It's a four-mana blue artifact, three and a blue Phyrexian mana symbol. So it's effectively four mana or three and two life. It is a clone that can clone creatures or artifacts. And I think that... It's a given, it's a better card than Sculpting Steel, and Workshops play Sculpting Steel. The other noticeable thing about it is that it's blue, and it might actually give Workshops a reason to play blue cards and Force of Will, or, or blue cards that also support Force of Will, because now they've got at least two playable blue artifacts, and it might change, they might not be a prison deck, it might just be a crazy big blue artifact deck. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't really know if stacks... Those are two different, you know, strategies in and of themselves. One of them is to deny mana, the other thing is to do stuff for free, so I think they work against each other. Uh, you have spheres out, all of a sudden your Force of Wills kind of suck. So, right now, you you wouldn't you wouldn't build your force of will shop deck with spears. Yeah, I agree. So I think it would be. I think you're talking about maybe even a whole different archetype. Um, but yeah, that would be really cool if there started to be colored. It's not mud anymore. Maybe then it would be bud or something with blue. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something to think about. I think. Are there enough blue artifacts? What else is there? There is the Master of Ethereum. Inkwell Leviathan. Inkwell Leviathan, Sphinx of the Sealwind. Uh, if you want to dredge the dregs, you can play Mindlock Orb or Ethereum Sculptor. Wow, those are the dregs. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's... Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not excited by this one. Uh, I think the copying the artifact thing is kind of cool just because there's a lot of... There's a lot of good targets in Classic. Maybe not so much other formats, but in Classic, there are a lot of good artifact targets. So, Don't forget that they can copy creatures, too. Yeah. They're fat creatures. So what happens... Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit hazy on this. What happens if he comes in as a copy of an artifact? Is He's automatically he's, not a creature anymore? It's just artifact? Yeah, he's automatically a creature. That zero zero in his text box doesn't exist. Okay, all right. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure here. You never know how this stuff works. <coughs> Actually, comes into client. I've been surprised before by like madness and stuff like that. So, 
Anyways, um, next one I know Andy wanted to talk about last week, but he didn't get a chance to, so hopefully he can go uh, in-depth this time. Andy, you want to take it? Yeah, I think this is the second-best card, card for Classic in the set. It's Praetor's Grasp. It's one colorless mana and two black. Sorcery speed. Search your target target opponent's library for a card. You exile it face down, and then that player shuffles his library. As long as it remains exiled, you may cast it as though it's in your hand. So, a couple of things here. First of all, your opponent doesn't get to see which card you're taking from their library and sh- um, shuffling away until you need it. And you can then cast that card as though it was in your hand. So, you can take their Tinker, you can take their Oath target, um, you can take their Yagmoth's Will if you're kind of in the end game. I just think that it's uh, a powerful tutor effect. It's it's maybe expensive as a tutor, but the fact that it can it can take a really powerful card from your opponent's deck can't be overlooked. And um, I I really think this will see play um, in in classic. I'm really excited about it. I think it's a great card, really well designed, and um, looking forward to picking up a couple of copies. I don't think you're going to be running more than say two copies in the deck. Um, but the fact that it's black as well and can be kind of popped out with a dark ritual is uh, an added bonus. Um, I, I think this is um, the second best card in the set by far. Um, so, what would you think this in, is in vintage than it is in classic? Do you think this is something that like you would play no matter the metagame, or do you think if there, if say stacks and dredge got really popular, you would consider totally moving it to the sideboard? Yeah, I mean it's obviously weaker against uh, against Verge and and to some extent weaker against uh, the shop decks. But I, I I can see your point that if if, if the metagame's not right for it, then um, it may be better in the sideboard. But there there are some some really cool targets for it anyway. And and I just think it, the added value that your opponent doesn't see which cards you remove is also uh, quite cool because you get to kind of mess around with their game plan as well. Oh, it's not revealed. Oh. No, it's hidden. No, it's Wow, that 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 is some really cool mind games. Um, I I think that if you're gonna play this card, you're gonna play it all the time because outside of Dredge, there is a target in every single. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I think I think it's definitely a good card. I'm I'm just trying to play the uh, devil's advocate here and, and and see if we can poke some holes in it. But definitely, it seems like an awesome card, and I I totally agree with you, Andy. I think it's one of those cards that's. Now knowing that it's not revealed, it seems like one of those cards that's just going to mess with their heads so much. Until they crack it, that's why I'm Yeah. Still. So, um, next card we have, uh, it's kind of kind of a strange one, because it's, it's almost a, a functional reprint, besides a few key words, of Exterpate. Um... The next card is uh, Surgical Extraction, and it's uh, one black Phyrexian symbol, so it's you know one black mana or two life, as the theme goes. And it's an instant, and basically the text is, choose target card in a graveyard other than a basic land card. Search its owner's graveyard, hand, and library for all cards with the same name, and exile them. Then that player shuffles his library. So... The big thing to to look at here is there's a big trade-off. The whole free mana loses the split second, which in my opinion was the coolest thing about the card. There was nothing you could do outside of a resolved counterbalance and a lucky flip to stop an extirpate. But free is pretty cool too. Um, I haven't really thought about this card a lot in context, but maybe you guys have. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, personally, I don't like playing Extirpate, so I don't think that I would like playing Surgical Extraction, but, I mean, there's the pro and con of each, like you just said, it's free, or it can't be uh, responded to. They're both really attractive for different reasons, I just think that both of them are not good enough, per se. I'd rather be doing something else to their graveyard. Well, I I think the number one way to look at this card might be to say, are there any decks that need more than one copy of their kill condition to beat you? And that's that's where this card I think would be at its strongest. Um, just like in the past, maybe cards you know if <coughs> like old extended, I'd be referring to like uh, 
maybe like a Marari's wake deck to remove one of those moments piece because that would be just game breaking for them. Uh, in classic, I don't think we necessarily have anything like that. I think all the combos are strong enough where it's like just win. And like you say, I don't think there's much room for an extirpate effect there. Outside of maybe, you know, hurting somebody with brainstorms or fetch lands or something like that. What about you, Andy? What do you think? Um, I think I think you guys have covered the card brilliantly. Um, I, I agree. It's uh, just whether the trade-off of not having split second uh, makes it makes it better. So um, I, I, I don't really have any more to add, I'm afraid. All right. Well, uh, you want to take us into the next one here? Yeah, the next one's Gutshot, um, and it's one red Phyrexian mana, and it deals one damage to target creature or player. So it's a free little mini lightning bolt. Um, I guess it can take out Dark Confidence. Um, yeah, I, I don't really see this uh, having any impact in Classic at all, and uh, I'll maybe ask George his reasoning for including it on the list. Uh, Dark Confidant is pretty good. Lotus Cobra is pretty good. Goblin Welder is pretty good. Um, is Metal Worker a 1-1 or a 1-2? Uh, it's not that good against Metal Worker. But it kills, it kills all of the usual card advantage creatures that the Blue Engine decks play. All of them. They're dead. For free. I gotta say, I agree with Andy on this one. I don't think this has a place at all. If you're gonna play, if you if you want to do that, I don't think one red mana for lightning bolt is too much to ask. And you can also kill the other parts of their deck like Jace. So. Yeah, but you don't have to pay the red. You can play in a in a black deck. You can play in a green deck. The fact that it's free as far as a color commitment, I think, gives it an edge. I don't know, dude. Like. I think there's going to be fringe cases of cards that are free, that are awesome, that they print in standard today. But I think this is one of the kind of cards, unlike the blue spell, which just affects so much of the metagame, you were talking about a super specific niche subsection of classic decks. You're not talking about, you know, almost all classic decks run one mana spells. But not all classic decks run X1. That's for sure. And that Well, no, that's, that's true. That's true, but it could be a sideboard card. I mean, I think it has potential. That's, that's what I'm saying. I guess it's a sideboard card, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll stop there. I, I, I think I agree with Andy on this one. All right. You guys you guys probably won't agree with the next one either. Uh-oh. Flag Fiend, it's a one red uh, zero zero Lurgoy for artifacts. So... You get a one mana that gets plus X plus X for each artifact in each graveyard. But it's a zero zero if there are none. I actually see. He, I believe, he is a zero zero to start with. I actually can see this having a home in a mono red deck. Um, I, I think he can grow pretty insane. Flag fiend. Where I think, are I think it would be very good in standard. <laughs> I don't well, see this he, at home in classic. I, I would think that it would be pretty good in an affinity deck. I think that it would be pretty good with Lotus Petals. I think it would be, I think it would be pretty good in uh, in a Welder deck. You could you you're bound to have artifacts in the graveyard. He's going to get big. No, it's not format defining, but I think that he could find a home. Yeah, I mean, I don't, know, I don't even see this having as wide an impact as something like Kasali Pride Mage. But I mean, maybe, maybe like you're saying in fringe cases, I guess. But yeah, I, there, there are no decks that I play or plan to play that would play this card. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the cards I picked out of the list, they may seem fringe, but I looked through the entire list and I picked out every card that I could see having an application. So 12 cards still isn't a whole lot out of 175. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I totally respect uh, your choices. I just want to give you my honest opinion. No, yeah, that's fine. I, that's why I like to bring them up because I see a potential in it. Maybe nobody else does. Maybe somebody else will. It generates discussion, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, so flag, unlike the last card flag theme, Beast Within is in my opinion, going to turn green into a tier one color 
within classic and vintage. It's a uh, two and a green instant, and it says vindicate target permanent. That player gets a three three who owns the permanent. In classic and vintage, a three three doesn't really present a real clock, and you get a monocolored vindicate. Yeah, absolutely. When I was talking about the grass being my second favorite card in the set, this is my favorite. I think it's a brilliantly well-designed card. It's um, it's going to have obvious homes in Oath. And uh, being able to destroy any permanent on the battlefield for uh, that casting cost, I think, is pretty powerful. You know, guys, I just want to... I don't know if anybody else has said this, and, and I, and I want to say this because this is not my favorite card, but it's absolutely powerful. But uh, I looked for this to be the first card in a long time I swear to you, I'm not just like pulling this out of my butt. I look for this to be a card that they possibly look to restrict or ban at some point. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. It is it is stupid. Look, Vindicate is an amazingly strong card. It's sorcery speed. It has the drawback of being two enemy colors, and it was from the third set of a little open block, you know, at least for online. And a rare. This card is an uncommon, on-color, instant Vindicate that only gives a 3-3 beast. There is no flavor text in here that says don't target land, don't target planeswalkers. This thing is ridiculous, and you can yeah. use this to win the game at the end of the game on your own lands. I mean, this card is its too good. It's really too good. I love yeah. it. And if you're getting attacked with a creature, then you can just, as 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 Jack just said, you can target one of your own lands and put a 3-3 blocker on the table as well. Or if you're getting attacked with a Tarmogoyf, you can turn it into a permanent 3-3. And then the other thing that I'm not sure how many people have realized is, it's green has nature's claim on one, declaimer, naturalize, any number of two-drop enchantment artifact removals, and now this on three. Chalice of the Void doesn't stop green from removing your board anymore. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of contexts you could look at this card in. Um, <laughs> another context is uh, Iona's not as good as it used to be. Iona is not as good as it used to be. Do you want to name green? You don't. You always want to name blue. Best card in the set for vintage and classic by a mile for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uncommon. I, and it's I, uncommon. I think this is going to have a way bigger effect, but I think that the uncommon we were looking at before is just as big as far as how many you're going to see in decks. Could you imagine how much Beast Within would cost if it were appropriately slotted uh, at Mythic? If this card was a Mythic, it would easily be a $50 card in the first week. And I can't believe it's an uncommon. It's at least a rare. But it, a monocolor vindicate for uncommon is insane. I think that well, I can't believe uh, Tom Lapilia line. Remember when we were talking about his article, and at the end of his article he said, "Yeah, we'll see in ten years if people look back and say, what were we thinking? What were you thinking, oh. Tom? What were you thinking?" <laughs> I haven't even gotten. Well, I can't. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, what I can't believe is the, the casting cost here. And it's the fact that it's two colorless and one green. Oh. It's just huge. It could have been I mean, if it was double, double green, green or... Yeah, exactly. That should be triple green. An instant vindicate, guys. Uh, instant. It should be. It should be one... It should be colorless, one black and one green. And, and the problem is the applications on this are truly limitless. You're going to want to do all kinds of things to this. You're going to want to take, you would gladly trade for like half the format with this. Bam, you let them play the Volt key. As soon as they try to untap that key, you kill the key, or the, the uh, excuse me. As soon as they try to untap Time Vault, bam, you kill the Vault, they get a 3-3 creature, and they waste an extra mana. Um, kills Oath, kills 99% of stack stuff. The only problem is stacks is still pretty good against this, because you got to get it to 4 mana. But yeah. This card is so good, so, so good. It kills Bazaar of Baghdad. It kills Workshop. It kills 
you know, opposing anything except for indestructible crap. It's it's so good. The only card that actually stops it is Chalice of the Void at three counters. That's it. Yeah, and they need six mana for that. So good luck. So the the only problem I have with this card is that I thought I gave you an elephant token. And I really wanted to coin Elephant Assassin, but it gives you a beast token, and Beast Assassin sounds dumb. Yeah, um, I guess it would kind of sound pretty weak if it was Elephant Within. Elephant Within? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, what, what, what do you guys think about the... This isn't something we usually talk about on, on Uncommons, but this is so good, I think we should just spend one sec talking about this. Do you see this as being a 3 to $5 standard Uncommon? Um, I think that this is like Eternal Witness. Think about this, too. Think about, in standard, one of the biggest problems is Jace and Gideon and Planeswalkers. End of their turn, you destroy your own land and have a free out to their Jace. Yeah, it it you can definitely get a hasted beast out of Jace. Um, I think it'll I think it'll be a pretty pricey uncommon, probably three to five, just like all the other really good uncommons were. What I think it's gonna be what I think is gonna be really crazy is that foil Asian copies and paper will probably get close to a hundred dollars because of vintage. That's crazy. I was gonna say this because you play with Jace. The card, and then bounce the token. The card is bonkers. Yeah, I mean, red, blue, green was already getting really popular in standard. I see it getting a lot more popular very soon. So, um, so the next card we have here is a card we went over, but a card we all agreed was really good. Sadly, I think it's in the third or fourth place spot now. And back then, we were talking about being the best card in the set, and that's uh, Hex Parasite. Um, Real quick, just to go over it, I know in the interest of time we don't want to spend too long on this stuff, but uh, it's a one-mana artifact that removes up to X counters from target permanent, so we talked about killing stuff like Chalice of the Void and uh, Planeswalkers, and basically you can do it over and over again for free, and he's a one-mana 1-1, one, one. and he gets plus one, plus zero for each counter removed. So, uh, what do you guys think, better or worse than the last time we talked about it? Um, just as good. Andy? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely applicable. Um, just kind of been overshadowed by a couple of really stellar eternal cards in this in this set. But I'm, I'm sure that they will still see play. Yeah, absolutely agreed. agreed. So, George, you want to hit on the last card we had here to go over? All right, so Omen Machine. Um, could be a possible inclusion into workshop decks, uh, kind of like an Uber Mask. Basically... You can play some ridiculous cards in your deck if you can get Omen Machine going, because you just put the card right into play. It's a six-mana artifact, and instead of a draw step, each player during their uh, draw step will flip over the top card of their deck and play it if able. So, oh, pretty... Oh, takes away my 16 fireballs.deck deck. Yeah. <laughs> You can you can get some crazy interactions going if you can get it on the table, and your opponent might not be able to do anything, flipping up you know lands and permanents and artifacts instead of instants during their draw step. And even if they do flip up an instant, are they really going to cast the mana drain during their draw step? I mean, this card invalidates some strategies that are really popular right now, like. Uh Jace and Brainstorm and all those kind of cards that just kind of kills them. And it really screws you. It puts two cards from your hand on top of the library in essence. Um, but do I see this having any effect on Classic? Not at all. I don't even see it being played in any deck that will ever top four. So, um, Andy? Um, great fun card. It reminds me a little bit of um, a card from Mirrodin, original Mirrodin. Um which had a really fun interaction on the game, but wasn't necessarily that competitive. You really have to kind of focus your whole deck around uh, around the card as well. So, um, yeah, fun. Probably one for the casuals, not one for the classic hardcore. All right, all right, fair enough. So that's, uh, that's all the cards we had. 
Um, I asked the other two guys to take a look through the set before we went on. Neither of them said that there was much else to talk about. If, if anyone else out there thinks we missed something, you know, let us know. And next up, we've got something new from Andy. Okay, so what, one thing we like to do here on the soap opera is to uh, brew up some classic decks, which we think may have some potential. And we don't always show you the, the polished stone. We, we start with the, uh, the, the rough and um, the kind of first drafts of decks, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of try and improve them during the podcast by having a three-way discussion, but also the community is welcome to pitch in. So to give you a little bit of background how I arrived at this deck... Um, one thing I was doing this week was actually going back and listening to uh, episode 9 of the soap opera where we had uh, Tom Lapelle on. And one thing that um, George said, which I found uh, inspirational, was that he said he absolutely loved it when there was one standout best deck in the format because he would then just go ahead and build an anti-deck for it. And this, um, this got me thinking about trying to build something that was anti-shop since shop's so prevalent at the moment and um, jumped into Google, did some searches, and came across an article in... In, um, 2009 from Stephen Menendian, um, a vintage guru, where he was looking at uh, making the deck for vintage. And the idea is that it's uh, a deck that's tuned to beat the key decks in the format. And the article was very inspiring. And I thought, hey, maybe we can try and do something like this for classic. So I sat down and started to think about the decks that I expected to see um, in, in kind of various ratios and what cards would be really good in, in, in a main deck against those. So we were really looking for something which had an excellent game against Shop and good game against Oath of Druids, being those two of the strongest decks in the format. But we also wanted to have a reasonable game against um, Dredge and Fish. So if you jump into the article that's attached to the podcast, you'll see the 61-card main deck and the 15-card sideboard that we've got at the moment. Just quickly talk you through the deck, and then I'll pass over to George and Zach, who will tell, tell us what they think of it and how we can maybe look at improving it before we, we take it into uh, any serious classic action. So we've got the Tinker and um, Black Steel Colossus um, in the main deck as a, as a win condition. The other win condition is four Ley Lines of the Void and the Helm of Obedience combo. Obviously, having the Ley Line of the Void in the main deck um, is really strong against Reg, and having replays available in the client and in tournaments means that if, if our opponent's on dredge, we can aggressively mulligan into the into the ley line and have a have an opportunity of stealing a, a game one win, which um, for, for many decks in the format is, is difficult against dredge. Scanning through the list, you'll notice that we're running four main deck and null. Um, and then we don't very often see this, but I feel that in an environment where we've got lots of shop and both of druids, that um, this is an opportunity for this card to shine, um, shutting down the key cards of, of both decks. There's a huge uh, range of cards in the deck, and that's really to kind of enable um, gifts on given to be powerful. Um, but it's also each of the individual cards has got um, a specific function against every other deck in the format that we're expecting to see. The sideboard then comes into its own um, to strengthen up some of those matchups. Um, for example, we've got Greater Gargadon coming in um, against the, the Ofer Druids deck. Yixvid Jade is coming in for the Dredge match. Uh, we've got Mindbreak Traps as well in the sideboard there as well. So um, I'll just um, pass over to George and Zach. I think I've kind of rumbled enough now. And uh, let, them, let them sort of give a feel of what they think for the deck and how we can improve it. Um, it's been probably about... Ten or so years since I played Brian Weissman's The Deck in uh, paper, and this is so much different. I know the article that you got this from. I read it too. I thought it was great. Uh, I didn't actually put that together though. I I didn't realize that this is what this was. Um, personally, when I was talking to you and Zach earlier, I said that I would really like a second Helm of Obedience, and that I possibly didn't want to play four different colors in a land of uh, wastelands. What about you, Zach? Well, um, everybody who knows me, including two guys on here, know my affinity for Gifts Ungiven, and that originated in the Gifts Rock decks back in Old Extended. Loved it. Best deck ever. Uh, loved it. Um, Andy showed me this deck, and I, I told Andy immediately I got, I got kind of excited, because anytime I see a deck with Gifts Ungiven, and that's a primary function of the deck, I do get excited. Um, second thing that came to mind, though, was the, the, the one-ofs that are in here that I guess are meant to enable the Gifts engine 
are kind of a little bit different. I mean, they're not what you're used to seeing. There are not a lot of lightning bolts and fire and ices and mind twists and pernicious deeds running around classic right now. And uh, funny enough, those are th the things that are ubiquitous with the format I don't see, like uh, Vault Key and uh, Mana Vault and... Um, Planeswalkers. Yeah. There, there are definitely some cards that you, you would normally see that you don't see in this. So, personally, I like all the win conditions I can get. I always talk about that. And the two cards that I try to fit in are, of course, the Vault Key combo. And I'd, I, I didn't mention this before, but I see it now. I definitely want a Jace in there because it's blue and I love Jace. But deck looks really cool, uh, what it can do. You know, you have the Regrowth, Yogwill, and two badass tutors. Well, three badass tutors counting Mystical. Uh, brainstorm, Force of Will, uh, and Anul. You got you got a, you got a lot of game against a lot of different decks. Um, it looks really fun. And the, the only other change that I'd think about making to the main before I tried it would be the Gilded Drake seems a lot better uh, for the mana cost, since you have so many other four shots fighting for that drop, uh, especially if you added Jace. But then on the sideboard, the one thing that really stood out that I noticed right away was the Greater Gargadon. I might keep one or two, but I definitely wouldn't run three. Uh, it seems a little bit cute, and I think like cards like Pyroblast, more of them might be better. But, yeah, I, I told Andy, I'm going to build the deck up and try it out. Um, it, it also might be one of the first decks that could use more than one Library of Alexandria, but, again, you'd have to test to see it. But, yeah, Andy, kudos on the deck, dude. It looks really cool, and I'm kind of excited to sleeve it up and try it out myself. Yeah, um, I, I think it's, um, it's it's got some interesting cards in it anyway. Um, I took it for a spin in the tournament practice room and uh, came up against some unexpected decks, uh, which doesn't really work with this. You need to be really hitting the decks you're expecting to see. So um, I'll be interested to test it against uh, Shop and Oath and see if it actually does what it's meant to do. Yeah, see me after it. And, uh, yeah, it's it. definitely one to, one to watch and one to play around with. So, cool, cool. Okay, so... Um, we we got quite a lot of discussion from the the last podcast, and uh, most of that discussion was around classic being too expensive, and uh, we we kind of had some hefty debating in 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 the article, but we thought we'd pick that up and discuss it in a little bit more detail here. And uh, I think George was um, sorry, yeah, George was one of the first people to respond to those comments in in the thread. So do you want to pick it up, George, as to where we got to with that debate? Yeah. So basically. Basically, the, the debate boils down to this. Classic is too expensive to buy into. And on the base level, yes, it is absolutely correct. Classic is too expensive for your everyday average person to just drop $1,000 into a format. However, one of the biggest reasons that I hate this argument is because it is completely biased on an individual perspective. Your every single, every format is too expensive to buy into if you do not plan to play in events with them. If you are a strictly casual player, there is no reason whatsoever you need a $900 standard deck. There is no reason you need a $1,200 legacy deck. There is no reason you need an $800 or $900 classic deck unless you have the money to throw away at it. So basically it boils down to not that Classic is too expensive, but that the people who complain that Classic is too expensive, and I use complain harshly, if they don't complain, it's just that's what it is. The people who say it's too expensive choose not to pay the money for it, and that's fine, but you can't blame the card. You have to blame the motor. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, in standard right now, we just mentioned in passing before the cast started here, four Jason, four Gideons, not to mention four Stoneforge Mystics and stuff like uh, Sword of Feast and Famine. These cards aren't cheap either. I mean, if you want to play, I have a feeling the same people who are saying Classic is too expensive are the same people who say why do you net deck in standard because they want to play their rogue decks, which there's nothing wrong with, but you can't be hypocritical about it. You would probably be playing those net decks if you had the cards in your possession. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit abrasive on this subject, and I apologize for that. I'm abrasive in a lot of ways. But uh, 
honestly, if you want the cards, you'll find a way to get them. And uh, Andy, why don't you kind of let them know what I mean by that? How did you how did you up your collection? Well, I've, I just do a little bit of trading here and there, buying cards that I think might go up in value. But but one point that I would like to make is that classic cards tend to have quite a longevity. And what I mean by that is you can go and pick up a copy of uh, Yagmos Will for four event tickets. But that Yagmos Will is going to be in at least 60% of all decks that you play if you commit to classic for as long as Mo- uh, Magic Online exists. So once you've picked up that card, you're going to be getting so much use out of it, and four ticks isn't a massive amount for a card that is going to see that much playability over so many years. I could easily jump into Standard right now, splash a whole lot of cash, and see, see that investment dwindle, and the playability of those cards dwindle when, when the sets rotate. So one, one thing to bear in mind about um, the debate of whether Classic's expensive or not is to really think about how often you have to replace your cards and uh, how, how much value you're going to get out of them over the long term. So uh, that's, that's a thought I'd like to leave. Well, I think that Yawgmoth... Some of the naysayers for, for the value of, of Classic. I think that using Yawgmoth's Will is a bad example because you're using a $4 card. Let's, let's use Force of Will as that example. You pay a hundred dollars for Force of Will. It's still going to be worth a hundred dollars four years from now, where your hundred dollar Jace is going to be fifty bucks in six months, if not less. Yeah, the, the only reason I, I interject that Andy is because you said you spend four dollars on Yawgmoth's Will, or you spend all of this money on Standard, and that's kind of a weird correlation to draw. Like a four dollar card isn't expensive to anybody. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess. But the point is that if people think that Legacy is too expensive, they're going to think Classic is too expensive. If Legacy is within their reach, then Classic is also within their reach. Well, and that's why I was pushing so hard about what we really need is to get the Legacy players to spend the, you know, extra 50 to 100 tickets to upgrade one of their decks to a Classic deck. You know what, though? If Classic events were firing, like, two a week, three a week, more people would jump in and more events would fire. Yeah, it's the but there's form- no incentive. The format, no incentive. The format is so momentum based. Yeah. I mean, those people in playing Legacy, there's so many Legacy events firing. They don't need to spend additional money for Classic when Classic isn't even firing. Yeah, it's true. We've not fired an event in two weeks. Um, honestly, I wasn't expecting to fire any events during the release week, so. That doesn't surprise me. But the week before, that that was kind of a bummer. Yeah, big bummer. I mean, it really, it really honestly could be that the only times that are available for the players to play, they're playing in the Urza's Destiny release events because the there's not enough cards in the system, so... They're, no. they're grinding out those metal workers. I'm really happy I got mine because I see it being like a 50 or $60 card. Yeah, I think so. I'm really happy that it doesn't interest me one little bit. Well, that's, a, that's good, too. <laughs> hey, I'm back. I, I just don't... Hey, cool. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't interest me really to play with. What it does interest me for is that it may double my investment in the long haul. I could, oh, yeah, yeah. I think like, that. like, let's say Power 9 comes out, right? I could trade my four regular metal workers for half of the foil Power 9. Uh, I don't know about that. You don't think metal worker will be like a $50 single in a year or two? I don't think you can get half of the Power 9 foiled for 100 tickets, is what I'm saying. No, I'm saying I would have 200 tickets just for metal workers. And I would expect uh, Foil Power 9 to be about 50 or 60 tickets each. Mm. Well, yeah, it depends how they release it. Yeah, if it's Mythic slot and it's Foil, it might be more than 50 or 60. It might be 90 or 100. Uh, maybe, but you got they're restricted. But it's Mythic Foil, though. There's so few. Yeah, I suppose, but you got to gotta also remember... You gotta, but you got to also remember Mythic Foil... It's Power 9. The set will be opened so insanely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but everyone's going to want to get the bloody nine cards. Yeah, they're not yeah, so, for any reason other than that. 
like I I would go so far as to say that uh, Med Five, let's say it's Med Five with Foil Olympics, I would go so far as to say that the Power Nine standard sets uh, Mythic foils. I didn't hear you, buddy. You cut out for me there. What'd you say? You go so far in? I go so far as to say is that Med Five uh, Foil Mythics, if they were Power Nine. There would be more of them in the system than whatever was the most current standard set foil mythic. Uh, I wouldn't. Are, are you kidding people, me? There are a lot of people that like Power Nine, but it's a fact. Most people online play competitive, sealed, and all that kind of stuff for standard, whatever the most current set is. Well, this this would be the most current set uh, besides the standard set. And you could open Power Nine. It would be. I, I just think it would be insane. I think. I think there would be a metric ton of cards in the system. Yeah, I, I um, agree with that well, point. I just think standard is open so much. It's ridiculous. Like the standard devaluation of rares after they released Mythics is so insanely low now. Rares are worth like nothing. Which is good because there's like you know seven or eight rare or Mythic expensive cards instead of. 15 to 20 expensive rare cards. I think that point in itself can be debated if that's good or not, though. Because, yeah, it makes everything else more accessible. But those two or three real chase cards, it makes them as inaccessible as possible. Well, that's also true. There's the seesaw action on that. So, anyway, um, nice little tangent we've had here. But I thought that, you know, it's expensive. Yes. Uh, like Andy said, though, it's expensive, but you get your money back way longer than you would than with standard. Any card you buy that's expensive now for Classic or Legacy is still going to be really expensive when you decide to sell out. Not just when it rotates, because it doesn't rotate. Um, so, with that in mind... All three of us have come by our collections, and we we each have you know pretty expensive collections when when you compare it to what people are saying about the format. And I know that none of us paid anywhere near what they cost. Um, I'm very fortunate. I started in the beginning. All of my I got all of my cards at their cheapest price. So that's one that's one trick of getting into classic: buy the cards when they come out. You know. That's all good and, good and fine to say now that Force of Will has been out for four years, but all these all these cards would be within. If it were a rare card, you would want to buy them now instead of waiting until you uh, wanted to get into classic. The slow, steady growth helps a lot. Um, other than being there for all the cards, I play constructed events. I pay a nominal entry fee, and every time I place in the money, I get to buy more staples for classic. Over four years, I've accrued almost everything within the format that I would want. Um, and my, my cost to actual value is at least 20%. I, I probably paid for about 20% of my collection. And I've also cashed out $1,800 in the last uh, two years, strictly from Classic. Um, that, I know, is the next longest collection uh, you sold out and then restarted just recently. How did you get your collection back up to its status? Yeah, um, I've been playing for a long time since like uh, Judgment was in the store in Magic Online, and uh, I sold out my collection actually almost completely. The only thing I kept was like my four X sets of commons uh, twice. Most recently being about a year and a half ago. Uh, I am in the last three years. I became an absolute addict with drafting i love to draft i love to open cards and i love to use i always think about it as using your skill against the other people's skill it, cards are like a, a percentage of it but i mean i think it's all about play skill and everything else and i think draft is the coolest place to number one get better at the game and number two expand your collection um all you need to do is know what what way you want to make money? If you're a really competent drafter, but you don't have a lot of funds in the game, or I guess dispensable dispensable income, uh, I'd say take a set that you really like that has a high EV, like right now Urza Saga, and play a ton, a ton of Swiss as 
As noob as that sounds, you can almost be always be guaranteed to open at least five to six dollars worth in cards, considering the legacy commons. You know, there's four of them that are worth a dollar each, and you can they I get them pick eight a lot of the time. Um, you can definitely sell any of those for a dollar, and you'll almost always open something cool. And one out of every four drafts, you'll open something that's bomb, maybe worth thirteen to twenty bucks. So um, that's my way that I've built my collection up. I've gotten you know four Force of Wills, three Jaces, uh, basically all 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 the stuff that I talk about that I play. So that's how I got it. Ninety-five percent of it was drafting. The other percentage was like buying and selling cards with uh, my common collection. So uh, I know Andy went about it a different way. Andy, how did you uh, did you sell out, and how did you rebuild your collection? Yeah, so I've actually been playing for a long, long time. I've sold out two collections. Uh, one was a big IPA collection that I sold out in 2005, and I'm glad I did because uh, we've all seen what happened to those prices. Yep. I then really got heavily into classic on my return and built up a really strong classic uh, classic collection. I sold out and uh, I used the money for real life uh, spending. And then I decided just uh, actually when Maze Four was spoiled to uh, to jump back into to Magic, um, not as heavy as I have done before. And I guess really what I'm hoping for is the the release of Power Nine online. And um, so I'm just snoozing along and trading away and building up my collection and hanging out and playing games in, in the tournament practice room and um, a couple of two man keys occasionally, some drafting sometimes when I feel the whim to. And just gradually building my collection through trading, buying cards that I think are going to go up in value. And, uh, yeah, just build, building slowly over time, as George says. Um, if you make a commitment and, you know, even if you grow your collection by a couple of ticks a week or a couple of ticks every every two or three days, um, the cumulative effect of that is, is pretty powerful. And before you know it, you've built up to a, a collection that's worth, worth talking about. And um, I hope, really, that if, if the Power 9 is online, I'll have... I'll have the staples that I want, uh, the price I was comfortable paying. I I really expect that it, as soon as we get news of Power 9, a lot of the cards that I have in my collection will increase in value. And, and therefore, to buy in at a later date would, would cost me more. So I'm happy to be back, and I'm happy to have uh, started growing up my collection again, and, and that's how I do it. I don't have, have the time or the collection or the skill to to grind out in, in the events like Jack and, Zach and George. Um but but this is the way I do it, and um, I, I I hope that one day I'll uh, I'll be chucking around uh, Time Walk and, and Black Lotus uh, along with the cards that I've collected recently. So yeah, that's my approach. Cheers so basically, uh, which is great too, since you started in what January, and your collection is probably worth about fifteen hundred bucks right now. That's pretty good. If not, if not more, I'm just based off of the one yeah, classic it's... deck I know you have, the Gusha deck. That's that's like a twelve hundred dollar deck, maybe maybe a thousand. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's all good. It's all good, and uh, I have fun along the way as well. So basically, the three of us have built up these these impossible collections, if you will, through basically every single means possible, except just sitting in the casual room and complaining. Am I right? Yeah, fair enough. And, and I also think it's something we should say is the last, uh, what, 12 weeks is the first time, you know, personally me, I don't know how the other guys are, but I've never written articles or anything for Pure. So I, I don't want to lie and say I have no other income coming into the game. Some of my income now is coming from some of these articles. But up until that point, I haven't spent a dollar in the store since 2000 three or four, I don't remember which, outside of refunds. So, I mean, it is possible to do. Just don't don't dwell on the bad. Look at the good and see what you can do to up your collection. Yeah, the, the credits that we receive, which is fantastic, um, is not nominal, but it's, it's equivalent to the budget of most, uh, of most of the average players out there. 20, 20, 20 tickets is not that much. Um, I mean, I guess that's a, a, not a lot for some people, but for the people who are going to play events, that's not a lot. Yeah. And I mean, now, I know Andy and I have a family and kids, so, but I can tell you right now, before I had a family and kids, 
I could easily, easily drop 20 bucks a week on a hobby. I mean, no problem at all. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? 20 bucks a week might take a long time to get that force of will, but you'll have a force of will at the end of those uh, five weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, better make it six. Okay, six weeks. Or you could take those 20 tickets and uh, buy cards to trade with and get it faster. Or you could draft. You could take three weeks and 36 tickets, and you could join three next ticks draft queues and look at it like it's practice. And each time, try to win that first round if it's a 4-3-2-2. Track each time you did it and do a draft, you know, a draft tracker, see what you did in that compared to the other ones, and study it like it's homework, and you can definitely get better at draft. And as soon as you learn how to consistently win rounds, you're making money. It's easy. You're making money. So and the the best part about that is that to get good at classic, you should draft. The, drafting gives you the best skills to transfer over to classic, because regular magic does not play the same as classic. Apparently, it's a great big joke, and you need to draft to get in on the joke. There you go. So all right, guys. Andy, you want to wrap us up here? Thanks to. Uh puremtgo.com for uh, hosting us and mtgotraders.com for uh, sponsoring us. Don't forget to jump into the article and have a look at the deck there and uh, some subsidiary information and uh, that's me, see you in seven. See you guys. It was a fun week and I know George is going to say this but I'll get it in first. We need to fire some events. Oh, you know what? Great. Fire some events. If you guys have the time, please join the queue. See you next week. Bye-bye everybody. Bye-bye.